Well, good morning again. I want to, again, say thank you for each of you taking the time to be together, whether it be in person or, again, those online. Appreciate uh, coming to, together as the body of Christ. And if you're brand new here this morning, you might not know, we're going through a series called Follow the Servant. And uh, for those of you who have been here, any guess on what week in the sermon series we might be on? Any guess on that? Yes, Nathan? Five, that's a good guess. It's a little, it's a little short. Go ahead. Walker. What? Ten, that's getting closer. <laughs> Anna Grace said seven. Teen. Yes, 17 actually is the right number. Yes, good job. Um, and it's amazing how time flies, doesn't it? We started Mark, uh, the gospel according to Mark, uh, back 17 weeks ago. And actually it's been 19 weeks because we had a 4th of July sermon that wasn't from Mark. And another week that it's slipping my mind, but there's two weeks in there. So we're actually, from the time we started Mark, we've been going through it for 19 weeks essentially so far. And we have made it to chapter 5, all right? Yeah, chapter 5. And uh, so thank you for uh, sticking with me on this. And we have a, a ways to go before we get through chapter 16. And I'm hoping that as you continue through the gospel according to Mark, we're seeing the two main themes that come out in there. One of those being that Jesus is incredible. Amen? Amen. And the fact that discipleship is importance. There's no getting around it. It's something that Jesus continues to put in front of us over and over and over again. And as you go through Mark so far, that I, some of the other things that I've seen is this idea of, you know, we have a responsibility to push back the darkness. Just as Jesus pushed back the darkness of his day, we have a responsibility to push back that darkness, and we have a responsibility to continue to disciple people. We see that, where he's pushing back the darkness, and he's sharing the good news. Okay, And if we're just to boil it down to those things, that's really what we're to be doing as Christians is living out our faith from God's word, the Holy Spirit working through us, that we're lights into the darkness, pushing back the darkness as we share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us. And it's going to make a difference if we all do it together. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. And the title of the message this morning is From Madman... To missionary, from madman to missionary, will you pray with me? God, this morning, our desire is for you to speak into our lives, to change us into who you desire for us to be, to chisel away the, the junk that seems to kind of creep up in our lives and to be able to shape us and mold us into the perfect creation that you want us to be. And, and we're only made perfect through the blood of Jesus. And so, God, we're thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. May you be glorified today. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. As we continue on this morning, we're going to be, again, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And uh, just, again, to kind of break the, the message up a little bit, we're going to watch a, a reenactment. It's not an exact reenactment, but the reading is exact from the NIV. And as you read through that, follow along in your scriptures, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. 
no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their legion. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. And all the people were amazed. And I wonder, are we amazed by what Jesus does here in this passage? you mind turning up the lights for me, Shannon? As you, as you look at these verses... I wonder, are we as amazed as those at that time were? Uh, as I want us to look at these verses, I, I, my hope is that we see it with a new and, and fresh perspective as we hear what God wants to share with us. And the first thing I, I want us to look at as we just kind of, before we really even get into the meat of it, is, is if, if you know anything about this area, the, the Gerasenes, this, this is Gentile territory, okay? And you have the Jews who are ethnic Jews, Born as a Jew, and then everybody else are called what? Gentiles. Yes, that's, that's everybody else, okay? So you have the chosen race, the, the Jews, the chosen people of God, the Israelites, and then you have everybody else. And so these guys, they're in this boat, and they're like, well, why are we going to the other side, by the way? You know, I can just imagine these disciples in their mind. They're, they're, they're God-fearing Jewish men, and they're going over to area where the Gentiles lived, and, and these people... 
man, they're just, they're all backwards, right? I mean, they raise pigs, they, they eat pigs, they sell them, they, they are basically, the Jews looked at anyone that wasn't a Jew as being a Gentile that was unclean. And so you have this kind of tension taking place. And I don't know if this is, you know, I looked at Matthew and Luke um, and here in Mark, and there was a preacher that spoke at a family camp that I went to one time, and I don't know if this is exactly how it took place in the video, the reenactment had the disciples getting out of the boat, but if you read this verse here in chapter 5, verse 2, it says, when Jesus got out of the boat, and nowhere that I read, does it say that the disciples also got, got out of the boat? Now, they may have. Most likely, they probably did. They're just following where Jesus is going. But that nothing is recorded as the disciples also getting out of this boat. And, and I wonder, again, before we really get into this, is do we at times kind of only have certain people that we want to share the good news with? There's only certain individuals that we feel comfortable, you know, really associating with or interacting with. A lot of times we think, well, they, they're just too far gone. I don't know. There's, they make me uncomfortable. You know, ah, man, it just kind of give me a creepy feeling. So they, they don't get Jesus, right? And, and Jesus is saying, hey, we're going to any and everyone that's willing to listen. And so they go over to the, to the area, it says the region of the Gerasenes. And Jesus, right off the bat, makes sure that we all realize that everyone needs to encounter Jesus. Everyone. And the reason is, is because Jesus can change the lives of people. Amen? Jesus can change people's lives. And so, once again, today's message is entitled, From Madman, we're going to see that, to a missionary. As we look at Mark 5, 1 through 20, I want to dive into this man's life. And I want us to really begin to, to think about this person, not just as a character in a story, but an individual that we might know. Someone that we would really relate to. And so this man, he, he has a condition. It's a tough condition. And then there's this cure that takes place. And then he has this confrontation and then he's also given a commission. And so as you look here into this man's life, what is his condition? Verse 5, excuse me, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says, They went across a lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And if you haven't noticed, we live in a world that's hurting. Our world is in chaos and turmoil. There are people that are struggling. And this man's life is a, an amazing example of many of the people that we come in contact with that are trying to live this life without Jesus. They're hurting. They're struggling. And you think about this man who, who is in terrible shape and he has these demon troubles. And if you think about it, though, who was he before the demon troubles? Who, who was he as a person? 
And we don't know much about who he was, but we do know that he was someone's son, right? That he was undoubtedly someone's relative, that he probably was someone's husband. Most likely he was someone's dad. He might have even been someone's grandfather. But he was bound by demons. And you might be asking this morning, like, well, how does, he, how does a person get to that point? How, do, how does someone get so tied up in the evil of this life? And I, I often wonder if it might just be the simple answer of the same way that we can find ourselves entangled in sin. It, it, we let it in little by little. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter gave a warning about the devil. You see, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, those who, the one that's against you, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Peter says that Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to devour you just like a roaring and hungry lion. And, and so as we begin to look at this man's situation, I want to challenge us. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Don't let even a little bit of sin into your life. If you fill your life with worry, he's gained a foothold. If you fill your life with resentment, he's gained a foothold. If you allow guilt to turn into shame, Satan has a foothold in your life. If you don't protect your eye gates or your ear gates, that's one thing we learned at junior camp from our speaker from Barbados at, at camp this year for junior week. He talked about the idea of making sure we protect our eye gates, what comes into our brains through our eyes and, and what comes into our brains through our ears, protecting our ear gates and our eye gates. Because if we don't do that, then the lust and the violence and the evil of this world is going to flood into who we become. And so don't give the devil a foothold. If you notice there's a huge effect that these demons have on this man. It says that he lived among the dead, that he lived in these tombs. And if you think about that, isn't that exactly what Satan tries to do in our lives? He tries to get us to live with dead people, right? And maybe not physically dead people, but he tries to get us to live with spiritually dead people. Satan wants us to be drugged down by the dead spiritual people around us. And there's a, there's a little illustration or a, a skit by Willie George. And it, he has a, a little boy that's handcuffed. I should have done this this morning. But handcuffed to a man. And of course in the skit he's pretending to be dead. But a, a dead man. And, and a little boy being handcuffed. And the little boy is asked to raise his hands to praise God. And of course he can't because he's handcuffed to a dead man, and he's asked to spend time in, wor in God's Word to open up the Bible and to go get his, the Bible and, and read it, and of course he can't because he, he's tied to a dead man. And I think about that in our own spiritual walks. How many of us tie ourselves to spiritually dead people around us? Satan wants us to live in the tombs, to live among the spiritually dead he doesn't want us to, to live full in Christ, but he wants those to, around us that are dead to tear us down to the point where maybe we can't even be tamed. In verse 4, it says this, same, this very thing, that no man could tame him. And if you think about that, there's a lot of people today, men and women, young and old, that have this violence about them. Everything's a battle. Everything's a fight. The video games are 
TV shows, um, all this is this idea of no one can hold me down. No one's my boss. I'm going to be the one that nobody can control. Not even you, God. You can't control me. And that's what Satan tries to communicate to us, tries to teach us that there, there's, there's no one that can tame you. You be your own person. And so he's, he, there's no one that can tame him. And if you look at his condition as you look at verse 5, he was continually crying, it says. The text says he was always night and day in the mountains and in the graveyard crying. And have you noticed how people in our world, there's a lot of people that shed tears. Tears of anguish, tears of sorrow, people that, that are crying over their, their dads that are, are controlled by Satan. They're crying over the devil and, and what he's doing in their mother's lives. They're crying over what the devil is maybe doing in their children's lives. And people are, are crying because they are bound maybe by pornography or drugs or alcohol. And they want to get out. But these vices have a firm grip on their lives. And they cry over these situations. And the devil wants you to cry. But God said, I'm going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, God can make us whole again. This man was always crying, and he was also always abusing himself. Notice he was, he was cutting himself with rocks or stones, and he was filled with demons, and he was hurting himself, and he was wanting to destroy himself. He doesn't feel like he's worth anything, that he doesn't have a right to live, and so many people deal with the lack of self-worth in our world today, and we see that come out in eating disorders and, and how there's suicide, and, and there's so much that takes place in our world because so many people have been convinced by the devil that they aren't worth anything, and the devil has convinced you this morning of that. If you're someone that struggles with self-worth, please hear me. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. You are precious in the sight of God. In fact, God's word says that you are one of his masterpieces. That you are so precious in the eyes of God. And I can't imagine the inner turmoil this man is going through as, he, as he's trying to be who God created him to be. And yet there's these demons that are controlling his life. And I was just thinking about this idea of this lack of self-worth and, and the, the struggle that he must have been going through and the fact that he was just maybe holding on by a thread because if you read on in the passage, what's the very first thing the pigs do when the demons go into them? They go over the hill, right? They go over the cliff. And I wonder if the, the, the man was struggling with that and in his own life, these demons that had possessed him and he's like, man, I just, I just want to give up. I just want to have it all go away. I should just throw myself off this cliff. And yet God gives us hope. And again, if you may, you may be feeling that very same way this morning, that because of the demons in your life, you're just holding on by a thread. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's a cure for your condition. And that's Jesus Christ, amen? Jesus is the cure in verse 6, it goes on to say, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, 
Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Notice what Jesus can do in this man's life, in this terrible situation, this man that is hurting, this, in, going through this terrible life. And Jesus, what does he do for him? This man saw Jesus from a distance, and, and the demons, they cry out, don't torment us before the time. You see, the demons were afraid of Jesus because they knew who he was. He was Jesus, the Son of God. And if you look back to last week's passage, we, we see the disciples still struggling with that. Like, who is this man that can control the wind and the waves? And the demons are saying, he's the Son of God. And they're nervous about it. And I want you to notice that these demons, they, they struggle with first-time obedience, don't they? I mean, as parents, isn't that a struggle to teach our kids first-time obedience? Just yesterday, uh, Brady, it was time for bed, and then, of course, the, when it's time for bed, the boys want to wrestle, right? And so Brady's jumping on Bodie, and I said, Brady, don't jump on him. Get your drink and get in bed. And he just laid there on the floor in the living room, and I just was like, did you not hear me? Like, I, I helped him get up, and I encouraged him along the way, and uh, he did what I asked him to do. But that first time obedience, the, these demons, they're struggling with this. Jesus commanded the demon to come out, but they're stubborn. They don't want to let go. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the demon said, my name is Legion. My name is Legion. If you know anything about, you know, armies and and what that means, that, that word legion in an army was 6,000 men. And it's very possible that over time 6,000 demons had entered this man. And I, I began to think about what that would look like maybe if that was taking place in a son or a daughter's life. What, what that would look like if 6,000 demons was in your husband or your wife. Think about 6,000 demons that want to get inside of you and, and drive you to destruction and the torment that this guy must have been going through. And I want you to hear this this morning, that Jesus is the deliverer of all that. Jesus is the deliverer. And the truth for us today is that if we've accepted the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, and have made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've been baptized into Christ for, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit resides within you. We receive that promise from God's word. We see that in scripture. And we don't have to worry about, oh man, are demons going to come into my life? No, we can have a promise from God's word that the Holy Spirit that dwells within us is so much more powerful than any demon that might attack us in our lives. And even though there, there is no way a demon can possess a believer that has the Holy Spirit inside of them, it is possible for a demon to oppress you. A, a demon that wants to throw everything it can at you. If you're a believer, if you're a born-again Christian, then Satan's going to throw everything he can at you to destroy your life, to, to get you off track, 
to send you down the path that leads to destruction. But praise God that the Holy Spirit that lives within us is greater. Greater is Christ who lives in us than anything else that takes place in this world. And we must acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle going on for the souls of humans in this world. There's 6,000 demons, and Jesus commanded those demons to come out of that man, and they came out. They came out. If you notice how it happened, you know, that man, he didn't have to have a psychiatrist, even though I thank God for psychiatrists, but he, he didn't need a psychiatrist. And that man, he didn't have to have a medical doctor, even though I'm thankful for medical doctors, but that man didn't need a medical doctor. And he didn't have to have Prozac, and I don't know if I should be thanking God for Prozac or not, but he didn't have to have any of that. All he had to have was Jesus. And they came out. And the people saw this man, this maniac who had stri- would oftentimes strip off his clothes and, and run through the, the streets naked. This man who, who no man could tame. This man who cried night and day. This man who cut himself and mutilated his own body. This man who was deranged and, deri- and driven by demons. When Jesus got through with him, the people saw this man sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed and in his right mind. And I want you to know this morning that there is nobody anywhere that is beyond the touch of Jesus. Amen? Everyone can be changed by Jesus. See, Jesus is the only cure for racism homosexuality, addictions, demon possession, broken homes, corrupt governments, physical ailments, emotional struggles, struggling marriages, wayward children, and on and on and on. Jesus is the cure. He is the answer. He is the only thing that is going to truly have an eternal impact in the lives of the people that we come in contact with. And so you'd think, man, everybody would just be excited about how Jesus has changed this man's life. And yet there's this confrontation that shows up. Not everybody's on board. In verse 14, it says, Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And once again, I, I think we, we all in our minds, I, I kind of always have a glass half full type of mentality. Everybody should be excited about this man's life change. But there's a lot of people that are hesitant. They, they, they look at this situation, they're like, no, man, ah, man. And it says they're afraid. It says they begin to plead with Jesus to, to leave that area. And even though they see that this life, this man's life has been totally transformed by the power of God, and for the very first time in a long time, he was clothed and was completely in his right mind. And I th- thought about that, man, what a powerful, powerful witness. And so a little side note, may I suggest to you that there is no more powerful a witness than a life that has been transformed by Jesus? 
You see, your life transformed by Jesus can have a huge impact in the world, but then there's still going to be people that are going to resist. And you, again, think that these people would be amazed and they'd be thankful that, that this man that had been away from his home and his family and has, his life had been destroyed, had been made whole again, but instead, at the end of verse 15, they're afraid. Now, why are they afraid? And I just kind of thought about that idea of people that see other people's lives completely transformed by Jesus and the power that comes from that, I think they kind of get nervous about, well, what's Jesus going to require of me? How, how is Jesus going to change my life? I like my life, Jesus. You, you, why don't you go somewhere else and, and meddle in somebody else's life, Jesus? I, I, I want my, my life the way I want it. I want my comfortability. I want my finances. I want to say when I'm going to come to church and when I'm not. I, I'm gonna, I don't want to be all, all in. I just want to be kind of tiptoeing in when it comes to this relationship with Jesus and so I think they were afraid of what Jesus, how he was going to impact the whole community. And you think about this, this, what was taking place with these Gentiles. And here's this Jew that comes in. And I think we live in a day and a time when everyone wants a Savior, but nobody wants a Lord. Do you agree with that? Everybody wants a Savior, but nobody wants a Lord. And so many, they want the fire insurance, but they want to keep playing with the matches, right? They want fire insurance, but they just, it's fun to light a match. What, what burns? What doesn't burn? How does this work? You know, it, a lot of people don't want to go to hell, but they don't want to live for Jesus. In verse 16, it goes on to say, Those who had seen it told the people what had happened in the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And once again, they're in Gentile country, and you were either an ethnic Jew or you were a Gentile, which was everyone else. And these Gentiles didn't love the fact that this man was possessed. They probably felt bad for him. They were probably scared at times of this, this possessed man. But I guarantee you they hated the fact that his healing was at the cost of 2,000 pigs. They were probably pretty upset that this man that was possessed is now healed because 2,000 pigs were demon-possessed and died in the water. And a lot of us, even as Christians, want Jesus to change lives as long as it doesn't mess up our lives, right? You, you can have an impact on so-and-so, but don't change what's going on in my life. We don't want it to affect our pocketbooks, our free time, or our comfortability. And in verse 17, and when they heard it, instead of rejoicing with the formerly demon-possessed man, they begged Jesus to depart from their region. See, we need to be very careful that we are not more concerned with our finances or our own comfortability over someone else's salvation. You get that? We need to be more we need to be very careful that we are not more concerned with our own finances or our own comfortability over someone else's salvation. Meaning as a church, there might be some things that God is going to call us to be stretched in, and we can't be worried about our finances or how comfortable we are as a church if it means that somebody else is going to come to Jesus Christ. Amen. People are going to hell because we aren't willing to stand up for the truth. And so many need to come to Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. 
And so this man whose condition in his life was horrific comes in contact with Jesus and he's cured, but not everybody is happy with that. And so there's this confrontation that takes place. But the story ends not with the confrontation, but with this commission that Jesus gives him. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Jesus is saying, go home. Your faith in God should completely affect your home life. In 1 Timothy 5.8, the Apostle Paul said that if a man doesn't take care of his own family, he is worse than an unbeliever. I always do my very best to, to put God first. And then right after God is my family. You see, my family comes before the church and before anyone or anything else because I have responsibility to my wife and to my kids to disciple them, to raise them up in Christ. My family comes before anything beyond my relationship with God, which is number one. And so when we get saved, and we need to turn our attention towards our homes and next it says, it says, tell what great things the Lord has done. And when some people are asked if they have ever given their testimony, they say, well, I don't know how or I don't think I really have one. And we've talked about this in men's prayer breakfasts before that they're overlooking the obvious because it's really simply telling what Jesus has done in your life, where you were before Jesus, when you came in contact with Jesus and how Jesus has impacted your life from that point on. See, you're, you're part of the, the message that needs to go out. The good news of Jesus is what has been changed in who you are. And it goes on to say, tell of his great mercy. And when you tell of God's great mercy, it's not only just telling what God has done in your life, but he, it's telling someone what God can also do in their life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, each one of us has been offered that great mercy and new birth. The question is, what are we doing with it? And I made the illustration this morning, first service, this idea of, as a kid, I like to keep my stuff really nice to the point where a lot of times I get a Christmas present and keep it in the box and put it away so my brothers and sisters couldn't play with it. I wouldn't play with it. The cool part is, is I have some pretty neat old school retro toys that are in like mint condition, but my kids, I never got to really play with them because I just wanted to keep them safe, and my kids don't really get to play with them. In fact, I did like... Uh, I just, I, it was hard for me, but I, I had a Lego set that I had been keeping since I was a little kid, and I let my kids play with it, thinking that I was being so nice, and of course now all the pieces of the Lego set are all over my house type of thing, but I mean, that's the thing, a lot of times we want to hold on to the gift so tightly, and we want to just keep it safe, and, and we don't want anybody else to know anything about it, because then it, it might get messed up, and yet this man, he was commissioned to do the same thing that we're commissioned to do, which is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
We have a responsibility to take the gift that has been given to us and share it with the world around us. When it comes to evangelism and, and discipleship, all that we need to do is simply tell what the Lord has done in your life and how he has had mercy on you. And when people see how God has worked in your life and how he's transformed you, there's no real way to argue with that. And they're going to be able to see the power of God in your life. The question is, how will you react to this commission? Because this guy, he didn't just go home and say, oh, well, that's the preacher's job to go out and witness. And, well, I don't really have the Roman road all nailed down perfectly, so I don't really know exactly what to say, so I'm just going to wait. And No, no, it says that he went home, and he told his family and his friends, but it didn't stop there. It says that he went and told the ten cities, the Decapolis, and proclaimed that Jesus, what Jesus had done for him. And let me ask you something. When you go home today to eat your fried chicken or as you go about your business this week, will you tell your family, your friends, your coworkers, etc., what the Lord has done for you? Or will you wait hoping that somebody else will eventually get to them? Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He didn't just say, and the preacher or and the elders or and those that are deacons or team leads or people that are really good at. No, he says, and you, through the Holy Spirit's power in your life, you're just going to share with someone what God has done in your life and how he's had mercy on you. And so this man went from madman to missionary and God has commissioned every Christian to do the same. It's up to each of us to accept that challenge and obey his command. And I hope you will choose to go home and tell everyone because it's not just for the chosen. And as the praise team comes, I just want to end with this. Christopher D. Green he recalls this incident. He says, anger swelled within me as I watched the newscast. Gay rights activists had marched into a city council meeting demanding to be heard. They demanded attention and charged the city with discrimination. Charges were made that physical abuse at a recent rally had gone unprosecuted. At this point, an individual stood and shouted, if they hurt us again, they will have to pay. We will fight back, and Christopher writes this. My gut reaction was to think, go ahead and see who gets the beating. But moments later, Christopher said, I began to pray. And I realized that Christ had died for that man too. You see, these Jews, these disciples went over to the, the territory of the Gerasenes, to the, to the Gentiles, to those maybe that were looked on as unclean. And Christopher goes on to say, when I see individuals maybe that I'm afraid of or individuals that I disagree with so severely, I feel like doing something mean, I have to realize that what they need is not a poke in the nose or judgment from me. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Just as much as every single one of us needs Jesus. In this world... This world needs Jesus. And so he writes, Lord, help me remember that you died for them too. 
Are we willing to share the good news of Jesus with those around us? And maybe you're here this morning and you've never really accepted that in your life. You've never really made Jesus the Lord of your life. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you have a decision to make this morning where you need to say, I need to go all in with Jesus in my life. I need to surrender to him. We'd invite you to come. We're going to sing a song of invitation as we sing that song. If you have a decision to make, there will be an elder that will meet you up front. We just invite you to come. Will you stand with us this morning as we sing?